Good evening. Time to begin our service this evening. It's good to see everybody out tonight. We begin with number 296. 296. Could you stand, please? In sorrow I wandered, my spirit oppressed, but now I'm happy, secure. See it, please. Song this evening is 975, 975. And after the song, uh, Brother Joe Robert Robinson has our reading prayer. <clears throat> Thank you. 
Good evening. Our scripture reading this evening will come from Mark 14, verses 47 through 50. Mark 14, verses 47 through 50. And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple, teaching, and ye took me not. But the scriptures must be fulfilled, and they all forsook him and fled. Let us pray. Father, we just uh, thank you for this day and this opportunity to come into your house to worship you and praise you. I pray that uh, you'll be uh, with the sick that uh, are on our list, Father, especially the ones with cancer. I uh, pray that you'll be with their doctors and nurses, that uh, you give them wisdom and insight on how to treat them, and that you would uh, just... Uh, bring them back to full health, and just know, let them know that uh, we love them. We pray that uh, you be with Chris as he brings the message this evening, that you would uh, uh, open our hearts and our minds to receive that message, that you would uh, use it to uh, uh, just uh, let us uh, be a witness for you in the coming days and weeks ahead that uh, we might make an impact on uh, somebody's life. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Song of invitation this evening is 414. 414 before the lesson number 572. Would you stand please? Number 572. May the gold
Be seated, please. Good evening. So we're in the series, we're calling the shortest verses uh, in the Bible and what they say about evangelism. And it's just a uh, kind of an attention-grabbing way, I guess, to get us to think through what the Bible really says about evangelism. And so as I was putting together this series, I thought of a couple of different verses. I Googled, you know, what the shortest verses of the Bible were. Rejoice always was in there, of course. And uh, Jesus said was in there. I'm still working on that one. Uh, but Mark 14, 50 uh, was one of the first ones that I was like, yes, this, this, is, this is exactly what I want to talk about. And, and the verse simply says, and they all left him and fled. At least that's how the ESV translation has translated this thought. They all left him and fled. And you're familiar, of course, with the setting, the, the, the context of this passage. Joe read it for you this evening. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, he has been praying for several hours. Uh, the Roman guards have come now and they're being led by one of Jesus' followers, Judas, the betrayer, uh, is, is leading them to Jesus. And he's going to signify which one of the 12 men or which one of the 11 men with Jesus uh, are actually Jesus from Nazareth. And so he signifies that with a kiss. So he walks up to Jesus and he, he kisses him on his, on his cheek as was the custom in Middle East and, and many countries around the world today. And so... He's going to betray Jesus like that, but he's not the only one that betrays Jesus, is he? What's Mark say? At this point, after Peter tries the sword route, he pulls out his sword. I don't, I don't know where he got the sword. I suppose he bought it um, because he's a fisherman and doesn't, doesn't know sword play, doesn't have one on a daily basis, I would imagine, uh, in his, in his uh, tackle box. And so he has a sword now, but he doesn't really know how to use it. Again, he's a fisherman, not a, not a gladiator. And so he just kind of swings wildly and he cuts off the servant of the high priest's ear. Uh, and the damage that he did, the way he fought back, Jesus heals. <laughs> even the, the method that Peter used, even the, the slight pain that was, we say slight, that's in quotation marks, getting your ear, off cut, getting your ear cut off would have hurt. But even the, the, the small pain that was given to the Roman guards by Peter, Jesus negates. He pulls it away. He takes it away. And when he heals Malchus's ear. And so Peter doesn't know what to do at that point. Uh, I think that he and the rest of the apostles had kind of envisioned Jesus setting up this physical kingdom and now there was the time to fight and these Romans were not going to be anything. Jesus can calm storms and he can raise the dead and he can certainly knock out this entire Roman legion. And there seems to be an entire Roman legion has come out in the Garden of Gethsemane to find this rebel Messiah who they thought was probably going to be a military problem. And so they bring out all the forces. They bring out an entire Roman legion, certainly enough to handle whatever this Jesus of Nazareth can throw at them. Little did they know, right? What he can actually, the forces that he can marshal. But they all are maybe surprised at the 
way that he simply surrenders. They're not the only ones who are surprised, though. The Romans aren't the only ones who are surprised because the apostles didn't expect it to go down like this either. And so what do they all do? Well, they don't know what to do, and so they all betray him. Judas isn't the only one that betrays him that night. Every single one of the disciples, not a single one of them, stayed by his side. Even the two that are going to be at the foot of the cross leave the garden right here and hide in the shadows. They all betrayed him. When I was thinking through what I wanted to say with each one of these lessons in this series, one of the thoughts that crossed my mind was, whoever you're thinking about when we talk about evangelism, the person that we talk about when we talk about the gospel message changing and transforming and pulling people out of darkness, that person that you've got in your mind right now, for some of us, they are so far gone, so far away from Christ that they, they can never come, right? Logically, they're never going to be able to come. They're, they're never going to submit. They're too proud. They have too much money. They, they've gone too far. They've done too many things. Check out these guys. Every single one of them betrayed Jesus. And all but one of them come back. Isn't that impressive? No one is too far gone for the gospel to reach them. The person that you're thinking right now, they just wouldn't care. They, they, I, I can talk to them about scripture and about truth and about Jesus and, and they're just going to shut me down. They might even make fun of me. We might, the friendship might be over. My family member that I've talked to them time and time again and they, they just don't care. No one's too far away from the gospel for it to affect them. This message is powerful enough and the Jesus that backs this message up is powerful enough for it to reach everyone. So now we're going to illustrate that by a couple of different examples. But this is the first one. It's 11 men who were Jesus' closest followers, his closest allies. They tuck tail and run at the first sight of disaster. And every one of them, except one, Judas being the exception, comes back and they're there on the day of Pentecost like we've been talking about the last couple Sunday mornings. And they're all going to live the rest of their lives devoted to him. And 11 out of the, everyone except John is going to give their lives for him. They all betrayed him, but not a single one of them was too far gone for the gospel to reach them and bring them back. Only Judas was too far gone. But was he really? Had Judas repented rightly, could he have come back and have taken up his role as one of Jesus' apostles again? Yes. That's the scandalous nature of the gospel. Absolutely. Jesus would have accepted him back and he could have gone like the rest of them because there's no difference between what Judas did and what Peter and all the other disciples did. They, every single one of them betrayed him. They all left him and fled. It's Mark 14, 50, right? No one is too far away for the gospel to affect them. He has this kind of power that the person that is so far away from him that you don't think that the gospel could ever reach them 
that may be just the exact person that he's wanting that day. He can do all things. And this gospel message has that kind of power. We're going to look at that tonight. When Peter betrays Jesus, he's going to do so not just once, but how many times? Do you remember? Three times he's going to betray Jesus. He goes, some might say, uh, even beyond what Judas did. Because Judas, Judas really only betrays him once. Peter does so three times, back to back to back. With Jesus having told him that he was going to do so just a few days earlier. Peter had warning that this was going to happen and he still falls into it. You can make a pretty good argument that Peter was in worse condition than Judas was. Judas doesn't come back because he didn't really repent. He felt sad at what he had done, right? There was, there was some, some sorrow, some grief there, but his actions never backed it up. If you feel sorrow, if you're sad at your sin, but your actions never change, that's not repentance. That's something else. There's not a Bible term for that. <laughs> But it's whatever that thing is, is what Judas did. He halfway repented. He was sad at what his sin had done. But his actions never changed. His heart never changed. And that's not repentance. But check out what Peter did. After the third time when the Easter comes, uh, Peter, everything seems to fall into place. Why in the world? It didn't fall into place the, when, when he denied that he knew Jesus on the first two or three occasions is, is beyond me. But for some, for some reason, when the rooster crows, everything clicks. And he remembers what Jesus had said before the rooster crows twice, you're going re- to deny me three times. He, all that falls into place for him. And he has a very similar grief, a very similar sadness to that of Judas earlier but then his actions change he didn't allow it to define him in fact what's he do he ends up at the foot of the cross he's identifying himself with Christ what he had once denied now he is proclaiming by his presence he could have done more certainly but he is there at the foot of the cross with, with John, or at least is close, uh, observing the crucifixion. Halfway repentance is no repentance at all. We can be sad at our sin, but if we don't change our actions, we haven't done anything. We've only gone halfway. Halfway's not good enough. And so the person that you're thinking of when you think... I want to share the gospel with this person. Or I'm afraid I don't know enough to talk to someone about the gospel because this person would bring up this question or this, this, this uh, stream of logic, and I just don't know if I could deal with it. If whoever you're thinking of, in your mind, maybe that person is as far away from God as possible. There is no one who is too far away for the gospel to reach them. That is the beauty of the gospel. It reached Peter. 
and it reached all the other apostles as well, all the ones who denied them. It reached them and it brought them back. Let me give you another example. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells this story that you are familiar with. This young man, uh, one of uh, the sons of the elderly gentleman, the father, comes up to him and says, essentially, I wish you were dead. Since you're not, I would like my share of my inheritance right now, before you die. This would have, obviously, it, it translates today, right? Uh, this would have been incredibly uh, hateful and, and uh, hurtful to the father. But as the story goes, as Jesus tells it, the, the father gives the boy his inheritance and he goes off and he lives a life. Do you remember how Jesus characterizes the place where the boy goes? Far away country, right? He is as far away from God as you can get. Intentionally so, rebelliously, rebelliously, I can't say that, rebelliously so. He has intentionally done this thing that he knows is wrong. And he, so he's gone far away to do it. He's as far away from God as he can get. What happens? Eventually he comes to himself, right? He goes back to his dad's house and what's the, what's the father do? Oh, he runs out and he wraps him in this big bear hug and he puts the ring on his finger, finger and he, he calls for the fatted calf to be killed and he accepts him back. Repentance, right? Sorrow at your sin, but also a change of action. He, he could have just been sad at his current circumstances in the faraway country, eating with the pigs and, and, and far away from the father's house. He could have and should have, would have been sad at that but had he never changed his actions, nothing would have happened. That's, that's not repentance. Finally, the young man repents and he comes back to the father. And guess what? He is welcomed with open arms. This guy that was so far away from the father eventually comes back home. It's the power of the gospel. Whoever you're thinking of that is so far away from, from the truth, so far away from the gospel, would be characterized as antagonistic toward the church or scripture or God. That person may be the next one that comes. We just got to tell them. No one's too far away. You remember this story as well. It's in Acts chapter 7. It's the stoning of Stephen. We talked about this a little bit in our Bible class this morning. But at, at this stoning... Uh, of Stephen, who's the guy standing off to the side without a rock? They're, they're stoning Stephen, and you got to do that with stones, right? you got to throw rocks at him until he's, until he's dead. That's their form of capital punishment. But this guy doesn't have any stones. He, he, he's not throwing anything. Who is that guy? Well, that's, that's Saul of Tarsus, right? And he's made it his mission to punish, kill all the Christians he can put his hands on. It's his job to make them repudiate their faith by whatever means necessary. Stephen refused to repudiate. He refused to give in. I'm not denying Christ. You can do whatever you want. He really is God. And he really will judge me by how I act here in this place. 
I'm not denying him. I'll deny you. That's what Stephen essentially says. I'll, I'll deny you. I'll, I'll not let you, I'll, I'll not tell you what you want to hear. But I'm not going to deny him. The consequences are too grave. So what are you going to do? Well, Paul says, we're going to kill you if you don't. Stephen says, okay. And he goes down preaching. You go back and read the account. It's quite the sermon. This guy, though, the guy that's holding the coats, Saul of Tarsus, becomes the greatest proponent of Christianity in Scripture. No one's ever too far away to come to faith. If God can bring Saul, a, an admitted murderer of Christians, he can bring the person that you're thinking of that's so far away from Christ, he can bring them too. Whoever that person is, they're not too far away from Christ to be brought. Let me tell you one more story. And maybe you already know this guy. <coughs> Excuse me. I want you to think about Agrippa. King Agrippa II. You, you know this guy from history. You know his family, I am sure. In fact, he meets with with Paul. It's Acts chapter 26. If you've got your Bibles open, flip over to Acts chapter 26. Paul meets this guy toward the end of the book of Acts. He is, at this point, appealing to Caesar. He's gone through um, all the petty courts and he hasn't gotten anywhere. And they keep kind of bouncing him back and forth <clears throat> around uh, those little petty courts. Finally, he meets with this guy, and Agrippa's like, ah, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't find any reason to, to, to hold him, but since he appealed to, to Caesar, we're going to send him on to Rome. And so that's how the story ends. They, they end up sending him on to Rome. But have you ever read the description of Paul's lesson to this guy? Because Paul preaches to this guy. This, this King Agrippa, he preaches to him. And so maybe you need to understand who King Agrippa II is. Maybe, maybe you're not aware who his family is and who he is. Herod the Great is his great-grandfather. Herod the Great's the one that tried to kill all the two-year-olds in Bethlehem, including Jesus, but he escaped, right? He's the one who's going to build the temple. It's going to take him something like 38, 40 years to to finish out the temple. And in fact, it's not even going to be finished by the time he dies. Um, Agrippa, actually, is going to be the one, this, the guy that we're talking about right now, Agrippa II, is going to be the one who finishes out the temple eventually, I think 40 years after um, Herod the Great had started it. And that's why he's great, because he's known as a builder. Uh, and, and all of his lineage are known as sly, political builders. Um, and so... That, that's, his, that's his family. But even beyond that, his dad is Agrippa I. And you remember him probably most famously from Acts chapter 12 where he is uh, beheading James, the brother of John. This guy's family is not known as exactly ready to hear the gospel. This is not who you want to preach the gospel in front of. 
His granddad tried to kill Jesus when he was a newborn. Uh, his dad beheaded one of the apostles and was, excuse me, going to kill Peter as well, but Peter escaped. Now Paul is standing in front of Agrippa. He's identified himself already as a Christian. That's why Paul's in prison already because the Jewish element has, has risen up and caused all kinds of problems for Paul. But Agrippa knows he's a Christian and Paul's not backing down because he knows what we now know. No one is too far away from the gospel to feel its effects. No one is so far away that they can't be reached. And so he preaches, even to Agrippa, maybe especially to Agrippa, because Paul remembers his life before he was Paul, back when he was Saul. That helps us so much, doesn't it, to be able to remember who we were before we met Christ. And if you've got a really good grip on who you were before you met Christ and the condition that you were in and who you were back then, you start looking out for these people that are far away. And you start seeing what God can do through them. I don't know how much of that kind of philosophy Paul picked up on, but I know about 63, 64 A.D., he's standing in front of King Agrippa II, whose grandfather had tried to murder and did murder lots and lots of two-year-olds, whose dad was such an opponent of the way that he killed James and tried to murder Peter. And now Paul's standing in front of him going, there's this Jesus that, that you need to know about. And he did it. Check out this verse. He did it to such an extent that even Agrippa, in verse 28, Acts 26, verse 28, even Agrippa notes the extent to which Paul has gone to preach to him. Listen to what Agrippa says. Acts 26, verse 28. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? We've heard that verse so many times, but... If you read between the lines there, you kind of see Paul's urging, his pleading with Agrippa. Don't you understand how big a deal this is, Agrippa? You, you, he, you are in your sins, and you're going to be held accountable for that. How you act here will affect your eternity. Don't you understand? And he's the only one who can mediate that, who can forgive that. Oh, and you've been such an opponent to him, like I was. Paul would almost, would almost say that. You're an opponent like I used to be, but he converted me. And now I'm one of his, completely sold out to his agenda and his cause. And I want you to do the exact same thing. I want you to be the exact same way, to be solely sold out for Christ. To be a devoted follower of his. And so at the end of his lesson, at the end of his sermon, Agrippa would kind of say, Oh man, it's just been a little bit and you're, you're trying, you're throwing out all the things to make me a Christian. You can kind of see Paul nodding his head. Yeah, you've, you've heard right. This is exactly what we're trying to do because no one's too far away from Christ for the gospel to affect them. 
doesn't matter what you've done or who you've, who you've been, how far away you've been, whether you've betrayed them, whether you've killed them, whether you've hurt the church, whether you've blasphemed. It doesn't matter how far you've gone away from him. He wants you back. And so the person that you're thinking of today, they're too far away. There's no way they would listen. Way. There is a way that they would listen. In fact, he's the way. He would even say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. It's our responsibility to go tell. It's not our responsibility to make them believe. That's God's responsibility. Our responsibility is to go and tell. And so we go and we tell, even to the people, maybe especially to the people, that we think there's no way that they will ever listen because God likes to work in those kinds of situations to bring people who are far away from Him close to Him. Tonight, if you're struggling, we want to help you in any way we can. Maybe you're struggling with, with sin. That's, that's what He does best. That's, that's, that's what he came to do. That's what he came to die for is to forgive us of our sins. But you have to obey. Just as Paul was talking to Agrippa, what was true for Agrippa, what was true for Paul is true for us today. The only way we can be saved from our sins is through the power of baptism. When we're immersed into the water, he washes our sins away and we don't have to deal with them anymore. We become part of his family. And a part of his unstoppable mission. Maybe you've already made that decision tonight and you're just struggling. And you need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would, want, would have you to be. If you have any need tonight, why don't you come as we stand and sing.
Good evening, church family. A couple announcements before we are dismissed. Um, as a reminder that uh, next Sunday evening um, at 5 o'clock there will be a deacons meeting, so all deacons are encouraged to come to that. Also, after our, our Sunday services that evening, there will be a middle school and high school devotion uh, at, at the uh, Trevathan's house. Also, uh, January the 17th um, will be a Ladies of Joy painting party at 6.30. This morning I said 6, it's at 6.30, and I also saw that uh, all ladies are to bring finger foods and drinks to this event. Um, on the 17th as well, that Tuesday, is Young at Heart. Uh, please sign up um, if you're wanting and planning on going to that, so that way we know who's, who's going. Um, also, the Chili Cook-Off is Saturday, January 21st at 1 o'clock, um, so everybody's encouraged to come to that. And then after the, um, the Chili Cook-Off, um, we're wanting to meet here at the building and do some work to the church building. Um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. We used to do this once a year, uh, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Uh, this represents all of us, uh, the church does. So if you can, uh, please come and help out uh, with uh, cleaning the church um, so that way it can be beautiful for all our visitors. Um, uh, remember, continue to keep on our prayer list. Remember, keep Abby Ward in your prayers. She's having knee surgery this week. Uh, keep Emily Bowen in your prayers. Uh, she had shoulder surgery last week. Uh, she's at home recovering. And also keep uh, Jimmy Wilgus in your prayers as his cancer is back. And keep the Wilgus family in your prayers at this time as well. Also keep Terry Leap in your prayers as well. Uh, his cancer isn't doing too well. They told him that uh, the chemo's not working. Just keep the Leap family in your prayers at this time as well. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper. It has been, been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and partake of that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. The uh, cleanup after the uh, chili cook-off is our life group three, mine and Dickie's life group. That's our service project for this month, so for life group three, we expect you to be there. But everybody's invited. It's for everybody. We'll have plenty to do. Uh, last song tonight, uh, Heaven's Gonna Shine. I don't know exactly how sweet heaven will be. I don't know the beauty or what glory I see. I don't know what I'll be holding morning if I know for sure that heaven's really Yeah. Sure. 
Let's go to our Lord in prayer one more time. A wonderful and gracious Father, we thank you so much, dear Lord, for the opportunity we've had to be together this day with our brothers and sisters to sing praises into your name, to worship you, and to fellowship with one another. We pray now, Father, as we depart from this, this building, we pray that we'll keep you in our hearts and our mind and do all that we can to reach those throughout the world. Father, we pray that you can watch over our church, help us always to grow in our, our knowledge of you, our love for you, our love for one another. Please keep us all safe, and in Christ's name we pray, and amen. <laughs>